issues of Christian liberty and conscience. In chapter 13 of Romans, Paul shows us very clearly that the lives of Christians are to demonstrate a love for God and for others, which also follows his moral law. The new life and nature and transformed mind which the Christian believer receives in Christ aligns itself with the law of God. It can do no other. God's law is his pattern actually for how all people in this world ought to live. All of us, however, are severely impeded from living like that because of our inherent sinfulness. To live that way is out of our grasp. We do not have the necessary spiritual or moral capacity or character to be able to do it. But upon conversion, all of that changes. The Christian becomes a new creation. And he does so, she does so, as a result of the gracious power of God by his Spirit. And henceforth, the life of the Christian becomes more and more conformed to the law of God, living more and more as God would have every man or woman live, living out a life of love, a love for God and a love for your neighbour. And that is not at odds with obeying the law of God. In fact, it is the very same thing. And so in many areas of your life, you are you're able to say definitively with an open Bible, this is right and this is wrong. You can read the Ten Commandments and be left in no doubt at all what it is that God requires of you in all of those key areas of life and relationships. Certain things are always right and certain things are always wrong. There's no need to hold a panel discussion on whether it's ever okay for a husband or a wife to be unfaithful to their spouse. There is nothing to discuss. And so there are those basic tenets of Christian living where what is required of you is specific, it is clear, and it is unambiguous. Let him who stole steal no more, and so on. And there are basic aspects of Christian doctrine which are not up for debate. Discuss them in order to better understand them by all means. But to debate them as to whether or not they're even true or necessary, well, that should never come into a Christian's thinking. God's truth and Christ's gospel are to be stated, declared, taught, preached, but they never need to be debated. The truths outlined by Paul in chapters 1 to 11 of this letter are such bodies of truth. His teaching on those things, it's emphatic, it's unambiguous, it's authoritative. This is the gospel, declares Paul. If you try to add to it, if you try to take anything away from it, that will make it not the gospel. But there are many other aspects of living as a Christian where the Bible is not so prescriptive. 
where Christians will differ in the conclusions they come to and in the choices they make. And there is no verse in the Bible you can point to which unequivocally settles the matter for you. There is no thou shalt not for this particular issue. And that's the area that Paul turns his attention to in chapter 14 of Romans. And also just into the opening of chapter 15 as well. And so we're going to consider this in, in two sessions, as I say. This evening we'll take it as far as verse 12. Now what Paul does not try to do is give us a big long list of rules as to how to decide every possible eventuality. I think you realise that such a list could never hope to cover everything. And so instead, Paul is going to provide us with principles that we are to apply and principles that we must live by as the Lord's people. You'll see that in verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks about those who are weak in the faith. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, you'll see there he says this, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. So he talks about the strong, and he talks about the weak. Number one, what does Paul mean by the weak and the strong? He's referring to your strength of conscience on any given subject. Paul refers to your scruples regarding a particular matter. And these things often will be linked to maturity in the faith or lack of it. He begins with an example of those Christians who eat meat and others who can only bring themselves to eat vegetables. Some of you will know there's a similar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where the believers in Corinth are divided over the issue of whether or not it's okay to eat meat that has previously been offered as an offering to a pagan god as part of idolatrous worship. Some Christians simply see it as good meat that shouldn't be wasted, whilst others are horrified at the thought of eating it. For some, it was, as we see in verses 5 and 6, it was to what degree a Christian, and of course this particularly affected converted Jews, to what degree should you continue to observe the special feast days of the Old Testament or abandon them completely? So in terms of one who's weak or one who is strong, well, which is which and who is who in these different scenarios? Well, first of all, you need to be clear that Paul is talking about positions you take and decisions you make as a direct result of your faith, not merely issues of personal preference, which you probably still have even if you weren't a Christian. You may be a vegetarian, but it has nothing to do with your faith directly. It has nothing directly to do with your conscience as a Christian. You'd probably still be a vegetarian, even if you were an unbeliever. It has nothing to do with things you personally like or dislike. You'd probably like or dislike those things regardless of your position of faith. Now, these are issues of conscience as a Christian. Because you're a Christian, that Paul is talking about here. And in general terms, the one who takes the all-embracing position is described as the strong one. The conscience of the strong permits them to eat any food. 
and their conscience isn't troubled by it at all. But the one with the weaker conscience find they are much more restricted in what they may eat. The converted Jew who's able to abandon every aspect of the Old Testament ceremonial law, abandon all their various feast days and Sabbaths, that is the Christian with the stronger conscience. Their conscience permits them to do it. Whilst they have a brother or a sister with a weaker conscience, they find they're not able to abandon all of those things anywhere near so readily. And so we note that Paul chooses to describe them as either weak or strong, which is really helpful because what he does not describe them as is right or wrong. It's weak or strong. This is not about right and wrong. The law is about what is right and what is wrong. There is a right way and a wrong way to understand and preach the gospel. But these issues that Paul is addressing here are not about right and wrong. So we see already we have to be very careful that we don't make issues which are not about right and wrong about right and wrong. Because Paul doesn't. Paul understands this. He understands the as this aspect of not standing in judgment over one another. And that features prominently in all that he has to say here. And so Paul begins by making this distinction between different Christians. Those who have a strong conscience and those whose conscience is weaker. Now another lesson that's important to note at the start is that this is unavoidable. There will be areas in our lives where we have these differences. That's why Paul is addressing it for us. That's why he's going to lay down these principles for us to employ when this occurs. Now, it would be great to think that with an open Bible, all Christians can come to absolute agreement on everything right down to the smallest detail. But the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, takes a different view. Paul says there are issues about which we make decisions which can be classed as doubtful things, verse 1. By which he means there is no definitive biblical right or wrong position to hold. These issues are matters of conscience for the Christian. Well, I don't know how it is for you, but that then, that then leads me, secondly, to, to ask another question. What kinds of topics might this include for us today? Well, all kinds of things. And sometimes these issues will vary. They'll vary according to the culture in which you live. They'll vary according to the kind of upbringing you've had. If you've been brought up in a Christian home, or you've been brought up in a home where you never knew anything about the gospel... That might have an influence on issues of conscience, certainly in the early years of your faith. They might vary according to the kind of general stigmas which might be attached to certain things in your time and your place and your generation which were not so for others. So, food offered to idols, 1 Corinthians 8, that really isn't an issue for us today as it was to New Testament believers, especially to converted Jews. 
but, well, wearing a football shirt with a particular logo on it might, if that logo promotes a gambling company or a brewery, for example. Should a Christian own a TV? And if they do, which kinds of programmes should they refrain from watching? Some programmes might obviously be off the table for every Christian, but others, maybe not so much. Going to the cinema or the theatre? Well, yes, say some, with discernment about what it is you're going to see. No, never at all, might another Christian say. Drinking alcohol? Well, the Bible definitely forbids you to get drunk, but it certainly permits you to drink. And if you do choose to, are there any qualifying conditions that you might also need to be aware of and apply? But you might have difference of conscience on these issues as Christian believers. To what kind of degree should you follow fashion? Not at all, someone might say. Well, yes, but with certain limits. But where precisely ought that line to be drawn? Or the hemline, maybe. But Christians might have slightly different issues of conscience over these things. Going on holiday. Where to? How often? What kind of holiday? How much should you reasonably spend? Your employment. Are there certain types of job or company where Christians will be at odds as to whether you should be involved in that kind of work? Well, probably yes. Your leisure activities. What kinds of recreation will you get involved in? And to what level? How much of your time and resources will you commit? Now, there might be certain things in all of these areas where it, actually it's obvious and clear what the answers to some of the questions about some of these things are. But in other times, it's an issue of personal conscience. Now, in all of these kinds of areas, there will be biblical principles that you should know and which you ought to have considered. But often, there will be no absolute biblical right or wrong. There are areas of Christian liberty and personal conscience. So how are we to navigate these things? Bearing in mind that our decisions and choices can have an impact on others. And that is one of the things that Paul will draw to our attention. And this is one of the things that he will make sure that we think about. This is one of the key issues that Paul will stress. That you do not live in isolation to live any way you please that the decisions and choices that you make will have an impact on others. And that often is something that as a Christian you have to factor into the decisions that you make. And Paul will stress all of these things for us. So how are we to discipline and conduct ourselves in these areas so that as much as we can we avoid creating problems and discouragements and disagreements amongst ourselves. Well, Paul, first of all, highlights four principles that we need to apply and think about very, very carefully. 
I've come across a number of different ways in which uh, different pastors and commentators have kind of broken down these things. But the, the pattern I'm following is one that I've come across several times, which I find I found very helpful. So, four principles to apply. First is verse one, where Paul begins by saying, "Receive one who is weak in the faith. Receive one another." as fellow believers. Now, you may be at odds over certain issues of conscience, but do not forget that those primary issues of the gospel and your salvation and the atoning work of Christ and what it means to love according to the law of God, on these issues you are to be in complete agreement and these things bind you together. And these things are so huge compared to these lesser things that these lesser things cannot ever be allowed to get in the way of these greater things. Receive one another as fellow believers in Christ. Don't allow these spiritual molehills to become mountains which divide you. You are one in Christ. You are one in the faith. So receive one another as such. That is to be the overriding thought that you have towards one another. So these lesser differences must not be allowed to become a barrier in your fellowship. You don't make these areas a constant and instant topic of conversation so as to be always driving this wedge between yourselves. You're not always plotting how you can score the next point in your argument against your brother and sister, disputing these things with them every single time you meet. No, there are far bigger, grander, important things that you have to have at the forefront of all your thinking and all your fellowship. Receive one another as the brothers and sisters in Christ that you are. And then following on from that, secondly, do not despise one another. Verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. So this exhortation primarily is directed towards the one whose conscience is strong and who seems to enjoy far greater liberty than the other. But actually, both, both point two and point three can work equally both ways around. There's a real danger that you begin to think far less of your brother as you look down on them from the pedestal you've put yourself on. They take all those things far too seriously and they don't need to. How can any right-thinking Christian possibly come to that conclusion? And in your eyes, that person now has become less of a Christian than they should be in your eyes. When in reality, they are a brother, they're a sister, they are, they are weaker in conscience than you are on this issue, but you are to receive them as the brother and sister that they are. The third thing, I guess, is similar and follows on from despising, and that's in verses 3 and 4. Do not judge them. Who are you to judge another servant? Verse 3, do not, uh, him who does not eat, uh, do not judge him who eats. Now this instruction uh, not to judge relates to this issue in this context. Now it's important to remember there are other contexts in the Bible where we are encouraged to pass judgment, where we are encouraged to 
uh, use our discernment over certain things. For example, admonishing one another over obvious sins, uh, the exercise of church discipline, uh, the consideration of anyone who might uh, stand as an elder or a deacon. We are to exercise judgment in those kinds of things. So there is a time and a place for exercising judgment, but not here on these issues. This gets directed, first of all, to those who are weak in conscience, keeps them from many of the things that other Christians engage in because of their weaker conscience. And they might, be, they might be tempted to look upon the strong in conscience as headstrong or even just careless in their walk with Christ. They don't care how they live. They don't care what they do. They don't care what they eat. They're just careless Christians. All of these things, which to you, you can find very offensive maybe. Yeah, just look at them, reveling in these things, so it seems to you. How can they even call themselves Christians? Well, Paul says, in these issues, your brother and sister is not answerable to you like that. In these issues, says Paul there in verse 4, who are you to judge another's servant? To their own master they stand or fall. Now, if they were teaching a false gospel, that would be different. But that's not the kind of issue here. They are the servant of Christ. They're answerable to him. They're not answerable to you on these kinds of issues. What's more, if they truly belong to Christ, they will be kept and preserved by Christ. He will keep them. There is to be this bearing with one another over these issues. And by focusing our hearts and minds on those bigger, immovable, unchanging, eternal, universal truths, as Paul does in chapters 1 to 11, well, in that way, we will keep ourselves focused on those things always, and it is by keeping those things in focus that the weaker ones will actually grow, and the weaker ones might make progress on some of these issues. And so they're to be treated with grace and with gentleness. They're to be given the time and space to grow and learn. Rather than standing criticism over another believer, Paul exhorts each of us to make sure that actually instead we're first of all examining our own behaviours and our own motives and our own attitudes and the impact they can be having upon others. And then fourthly in verses 5 and 6, Paul says this, you've got to be convinced in your own mind. Be fully convinced in your own mind. That's the phrase used at the end of verse 5 there you'll see. Be convinced. In these areas of our lives, where the Bible does not provide clear black and white prescriptions as to the pattern of behaviour you are to adopt, the most important thing for you to do before the Lord is to make sure that you are acting in all good faith in accordance with your own conscience and as you see things with the Word of God open before you. For the Christian, all things are to be done before the Lord and to the Lord. And so your conscience before him is clear over this decision you've taken. 
Therefore, if you're convinced that your settled position on a matter should be this, and that is what you must do in order that your conscience is clear, then that is to be your settled position before the Lord. That is your conscience before the Lord. Therefore, before Him, you must go with your conscience. If you don't, it will be a sin. How will it be a sin? Well, what's happened is this, you see. You will have said within your own soul before God, I believe this is the right thing to do. And so that is what you must do before the Lord. But if you go against your own conscience, you're actually going against the thing that you believe to be true. And it's a sin before God to do that. You've violated your own conscience before the Lord. So you must be fully convinced in your own mind. So in other words, actually, these are issues that you do have to have thought through. These aren't things that you can just embrace flippantly or on a whim. You need to have checked that the Scriptures don't actually address this particular thing specifically. And you need to have really settled this between yourself and the Lord. So it's actually quite a serious exhortation that Paul puts to us here in verses 5 and 6. Be convinced in your own mind what it is that you must do. And then fourthly, the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons why. Why? Well, why am I to receive my brother and sister? Well, verse 3, because God has received them. So who are you not to? God has received him, the end of verse 3. So who are you not to? Would you consider yourself above God in establishing the qualification for the acceptance of another Christian when even God has not required that of them? Does God require them to have this same conscience as you in order that they may belong to him? Do they need your conscience in this issue? in order that they may pray, in order that they may be baptized, in order that they may be a member of the church. So, for example, as you sit at the Lord's table with them, is it not really the case that for both of you, the only thing that really matters there is everything that relates to Christ, the remembrance of him, is it not the case that the only thing that unites you is that both of you in your sins are guilty and condemned and that this one who died and rose again is your only hope? Should those thoughts in your mind, should those thoughts upon your heart not be the things that lift you above all of these other things that may be a source of dispute amongst you? 
when you have all of your attention focused upon the person and work of Christ? Aren't there bigger things? Is it not true that for both of you, all of your trust is in the completed work of Christ and that aside from him, you have nothing? Those things which unite you, those things in which you are one, the reasons why God has received you both, they're exactly the same reasons for both of you. Let them be uppermost in your heart. Let them be uppermost in your mind as you look upon and as you think upon one another. Here is a brother and a sister loved by Christ. Christ died for them. Christ has redeemed them. Christ has atoned for all their sins. God the Father has received them on account of what Christ has done for them. Who am I to use these petty disputes to drive a wedge between us? Second reason, verses 6 to 9. Be content in doing all things as to the Lord. Here's one who feels in, the, in New Testament days, uh, particularly thinking of Christians coming from a, a Jewish background, here is a Christian who still believes that there are certain days linked to the Old Testament law, the, the ceremonial law, that they should observe. And they do it to the Lord. Because that's where their conscience before the Lord lies. And in that thing, they're, they're worshipping God. And it's part of their, their loving service and obedience to him to observe those days. They do it with a full heart. But there are other Christians who don't observe the day. And they are fully convinced there's no, there's no need for me now to be involved in these things. I've been set free from those things in Christ. I'm fully, fully persuaded and fully convinced of that. And so I, that Christian embraces that position fully and occupies that position as to the Lord. This is what pleases him. This is how I must live my life for the service and love of Christ. And so they've come to these two different conclusions on this particular issue. But both of them may be content in doing that thing as to the Lord with a full conscience. So regardless of where you may stand on these lesser issues, be clear about it in your own conscience before the Lord and do it to please Him. Because you are convinced that this is what you must do to please Him and to keep your own conscience clear. The conclusions you've come to, the decisions you're making, they actually have nothing to do with just yourself and your own personal foibles. You're genuinely seeking to live a life that honours the Lord. And for you, right now, it means that on this particular issue, this particular topic, this is the decision you've made. Now it cannot be something which violates God's law because that is something which is fixed and clear and unambiguous. It cannot be something which undermines gospel truth because that is fixed and clear and unambiguous. 
And it cannot be anything else in the Bible where you can turn to the Word of God and, and it's fixed and it's clear and it's unambiguous. But in these lesser areas where the Bible is not so prescriptive, you follow your conscience and you live your life as to the Lord. It is so that he may have this lordship over you that Christ died. Verse 9. To this end Christ died, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And this, this is the issue that for the Christian, this, this is what I'm doing because I belong to Christ, because I'm under his lordship, because I'm living to his glory and his praise. Although on this issue, my conscience is clear and I do it unto him. And then linked to that, of course, thirdly, is the fact that Christ is their master, not you. From verse 10 through to verse 12. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us shall give account of himself to God. We'll all stand before Christ one day. We'll all give an account to him for our life of service and for our stewardship of all the things that he's placed into your hands. You'll, you'll take that up with the Lord one day. The Lord will take that up with you one day. We should, keep, we should allow ourselves to rest content in that and to curb our own tendencies to judge one another when it comes to these particular kinds of things. The Lord will deliver his deliberations over every other Christian in this room. And that should be enough to know. And knowing that you'll stand before him one day should be a far greater impetus for you than you could ever receive from me. Because Christ is our master and we live under him. Surely these kinds of issues were frequently upon Paul's heart and so we find, for example, when he wrote to the Ephesian church, we find these verses at the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness, with all gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, Paul is saying, each one of us should be saying in our own heart, I am not going to be the one that stirs up division in the church. I am not going to be the one that causes division between myself and a brother or sister. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. These are the big things. Paul says, keep these things front and foremost in all your thinking. Keep these things front and foremost in your heart. Well, may the Lord grant us much wisdom. May the Lord grant us much grace that we do likewise. Paul isn't finished yet. There's more to come. But here is uh, this exhortation for us to, to take hold of this evening as we consider our lives together as the Lord's people. There will be issues of Christian liberty. There, there are issues of Christian conscience. But let us live in such a way uh, that these things will never be a, a cause or source of trouble between us. And that all of us together will be living our lives as to the Lord, whether we live, whether we die. We are His, and we live to Him.